Good morning, and thank you for joining me on the Path to Liberty. It's Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. And on this episode, I'm revisiting a topic I've covered a few times. The top ways that they spy on you, the surveillance state. And while we usually think about the uh, surveillance being done by agencies, federal agencies like the NSA or the FBI, but when it comes to illegal warrantless spying and surveillance, there are all kinds of other things that happen on a state and a local level as well. So today I'm going to give you an updated tour of what I see as the top seven. Tim Martin says, you mean we can't trust government to protect our privacy? And certainly not, especially when we're talking about the largest government in the history of the world. And it's not even close as far as how much money it takes in. So how much money it steals, how much it spends and the size of its global empire and reach and probably the amount of surveillance they're able to pull off. Uh, equivalent to or larger than even China in many ways. And I think at least when I first started getting involved as an activist, the people who cared about privacy and surveillance issues tended to be primarily from the left end of the spectrum. And then you'd have some libertarians. But people on the right, at least the timing when I got involved, which was you know heavily during the beginning time of the Iraq war, the war on terror, the war on uh, nouns, and basically the endless thing that was going to last 100 years, and it's still going, of course. But people on the right generally said, well, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. This was a very nasty mentality. It's still out there quite a bit, but we're starting to see more people left and right, and sometimes it switches based on who's in power, but we're seeing more and more of a movement to oppose these warrantless surveillance measures from all ends of the spectrum. Here from EFF, between the increasing capabilities of local and state police, the creep of federal law enforcement into domestic policing, of course, we're always talking about this, at least from our perspective, that the federal government is not only pushing local law enforcement, but they're using the carrot and the stick approach. They're giving them lots of money to participate in joint task forces, to give them tools. They spend all kinds of money to give them tools to do the surveillance. Then the surveillance on the local level is passed through fusion centers or ISE, the information sharing environment, and it becomes part of the national surveillance database, whether through the FBI or ICE or DHS. NSA, not as much, but they all kind of, I mean, NSA a lot, but they're not getting the data directly from the locals. But this is all being shared all over the place. And so local law enforcement really isn't local law enforcement. They're acting as agents for the international surveillance state, really. The use of, anyways, I should start that over. Between the increasing capabilities of local and state police, the creep of federal law enforcement into domestic policing, the use of aerial surveillance such as spy planes and drones, and mounting cooperation between private technology companies and the government, it can be hard to understand and visualize what all this overlapping surveillance can mean for your daily life. And this is done by a guy named Matthew Guariglia. I'm not familiar with him personally, but basically what he's trying to do in this presentation, what EFF is trying to do, is kind of show you how they all overlap and they've put together some graphics. And I think looking at this article will be helpful when you get a chance on your own time. He goes on, he says, we often think of these problems as siloed issues. Local police deploy things like automated license plate readers or acoustic gunshot detection. Federal authorities monitor you when you travel internationally. 
But if you could take a cross section of the average city block and here in downtown Los Angeles, it's definitely not average. They are really, really blasting us with every way to track and monitor us. But anyways, you would see the ways that the built environment of surveillance, its physical presence in over and under our cities, make this an entwined problem that must be combated through entwined solutions. And I don't think, and although we're on board with a lot of the solutions they propose, we're not as on board with just saying, well, we just got to have some uh, regulatory oversight on a federal and say, we really think that in the end, you have to be an abolitionist on these surveillance. They can't be authorized to use the surveillance without warrant. And that means on many of the tools, things like cell site simulators or facial recognition, where it's impossible to follow a standard of a warrant based on probable cause, particularly describing a person, place, or thing to be searched or seized, they're having to do broad-based searches of everybody, everyone's face, everyone's cell phone within a region, that they can't actually do it. So you have to, in essence, be an abolitionist to say they shouldn't even be authorized to have the technology technology in the first place because it can't be used under the proper standard. But we do actually support smaller steps towards that end goal. It's just that I wanted to point out that we can support the small steps of regulatory uh, restrictions or legislative restrictions. But at the same time, we have to recognize that if you don't continue to push forward, they're going to chip away at that over time, find loopholes. We have to have the ultimate goal being abolitionism on warrantless surveillance. And one of the important things to pay attention to as well is how they get this stuff funded. And I just am linking to this. This is also by Matthew Guariglia. And I apologize, Matthew, if I'm getting your name wrong. And also Dave Mass that was published last fall, September 2020. I will link to this. I don't really have any highlights. I just want to point out that they're talking about following the money. Because when we get to these top seven things... You know, one of the best way to see how they're all interconnected is to see how they're getting funded. So we've got things like civil asset forfeiture. They give five. I think four of them are really, really important. They're talking about civil asset forfeiture. So government stealing, of course, uh, there's private manufacturers. There are certainly individuals. And I think we saw this in Baltimore. There's an individual from Tennessee or something like that that wanted to pay for a surveillance program in another state. We've seen this happen. I think that was in uh, South Dakota as well. So you're seeing people just putting up cash to give government money when they're actually the largest government. They take more money than anyone on earth. Why would these rich people want to do this? To me, it's absolutely disgusting. We shouldn't be volunteering more stuff to the surveillance state. Private benefactor, there's, of course, federal grants. This is huge. The feds give money to local law enforcement, to states, to say, buy cell site simulators, license plate readers, drones, and the like. I know the Houston Police Department some years ago got $300,000 to buy surveillance drones. And then, the, of course, it's the, well, we got, got you a little something. We're hoping you're going to upload all that data to us. And then, of course, there's police foundations and large corporations, whether it's, uh, I know for a fact, Starbucks, Target, and Facebook, probably Google as well, they're throwing tons of cash at these foundations. And the foundations go in and support the buying of more surveillance tools because they're giving them more power. Anyways, let's go through the top seven. I'm going to just spend moments on each. The first one, of course, is uh, monitoring internet traffic, what you're doing online, what you're saying, what you're thinking, well, maybe not thinking yet, but here's how EFF describes it. Government surveillance of internet traffic can happen in many ways through programs like PRISM and XKeyscore. 
The U.S. National Security Agency can monitor emails as they move across the Internet, browser and search history, and even keystrokes as they happen in real time. So they can hack your password if there's a keystroke monitor and then get into stuff that you think is secure and then get access to all kinds of stuff. And we know they do this type of thing. But they say Internet surveillance isn't just the domain. Now, NSA just sweeps it all up and they just take it. Local law enforcement doesn't have that. Well, they might have that capability, but they don't generally do it like that. Uh, they can rely on the NSA sometimes to hand that down through something called parallel construction. We know that the NSA has provided or through federal databases, maybe through the FBI, somehow it gets in the hands of local law enforcement. And when they're restricted from actually using that in prosecutions, when they're restricted from using that because it was obtained without a warrant, they're just told to do what's called parallel construction. You know the end result, so let's uh, set it up. You're basically faking it as if you got it properly, and that's an incredibly dangerous. A guy named William Binney, who was the former technical director of the NSA, he once called parallel construction the greatest threat to uh, to the Constitution and liberty in probably a century, something like that. Anyways, they say it isn't just the domain of NSA and international intelligence organizations. Local law enforcement are just as likely to approach, approach big companies in an attempt to get information about how some people use the Internet. So the cops on the local level will also pressure companies. Some companies... Uh, they are very strict about how they do this. And maybe at some point I should look into this a little further. I only have a very base knowledge of which ones are decent, and which ones are less decent, which ones are terrible. The ones that are just throw, all they have to do is just get an ask and they'll say, you, yeah, you can have whatever you want. And others at least put up some level of a fight, give us a subpoena or a court order or something like that. And they reject some of them. Google does publish those requests every year. I haven't looked at them in many years. I know back in the day they had the do no evil mentality, and I'm not sure how that plays out <laughs> these days. I'm assuming pretty bad. So that's number one. Number two is surveillance of cell phones. And if you're looking up on the video here, you can see that this one's actually number seven. Uh, EFF has 12 on this uh, page that I'll share in the show notes. I've combined a couple, skipped a couple. These are what I think are the top seven. Surveillance of cell phones is number two. Cell phone surveillance, they write, can happen in a number of ways based on text messages. We know we're hearing out there uh, looking to censor text messages, call metadata, geolocation, and other information collect, stored, and disseminated by your cell phone every day. Now, of course, your cell phone is always transmitting. It's got an IMSI, MC number. It's telling a cell tower what's going on, where it is at all times. Government agencies, they say, at all levels, from local police to international intelligence agencies, have preferred methods of conducting surveillance on cell phones. One of the most common ones on a granular local level is something called a cell site simulator, which used to be kind of a physical box about 10 to 12 inches wide, maybe 8 to 10 inches deep, 3 to 4 inches high. Now it's primarily software-based, or in almost every situation, probably software-based if you're getting a new install, cell site simulator or MC catchers. And EFF describes it this way. Cell site simulators, also known as Stingrays, which was a brand name from the Harris Corporation, or MC IMSI catchers, are devices that masquerade as legitimate cell phone towers tricking phones within a certain radius into connecting into the device rather than the tower. So when the FBI 
gives a grant or the Department of Justice gives a grant to local law enforcement and they buy one of these cell site simulators, they use this on a local level to get much more granular information than just scooping up data in troves. And so in a particular area, they may have every they would have every single phone if they turn this on by a cell tower or within the range of a particular cell, cell tower. Every single phone is going to connect seamlessly to the, the MC catcher and the data is going to be passed along directly to the cell tower. You don't even know it's happening. It's totally seamless and instantaneous, like in milliseconds. And they're collecting the geolocation. They can sweep up your internet traffic, your texts, your voice calls, all that stuff uh, without you even knowing. And this is an example of what I'm talking about. It's impossible to use this device because it is a mass surveillance tool. It is a general warrant. This is something that the American Revolution was fought over, was general warrants, a warrants that did not describe a person, place, or thing to be searched or seized. And it's just collecting all that information. They say law enforcement, this is back to EFF, use cell site simulators to pinpoint the location of phones with greater accuracy than phone companies. Some cell site simulators, so if they're leaning on the phone companies for data, they have some, but using this MC catcher, they're far more detailed than even what the phone company can provide. Some cell site simulators may have advanced features allowing law enforcement to intercept communications and even alter the content of communications. We've seen some reports about how they've actually changed text messages. We know that they've done things like the NSA had a program to intercept certain types of modems uh, in a UPS facility, open it up, put in physical tracking uh, devices or make alterations to the device, repackages it, and you still get it delivered within time. And I'm not sure if it was UPS or FedEx or DHL, but they've done stuff like this. It's insane how much they are manipulating everyone all the time. Anyways, number three is social media. Now, we could actually include this in cell phone surveillance and in uh, internet communication because it's all part of that as well. You're using it on a cell phone app or the data is being sent back and forth through the internet. So it's all getting swept up, but they actually still go after it. So it's still, it's never enough for them. And of course, power is ever grasping. We know that Abigail Adams was correct. Power is intoxicating is how Samuel Adams put it. Lord Acton, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Of course, they want to monitor and track us in every way possible all the time. And just sweeping up troves of data isn't easy for them to create profiles on us. So when they can get the, the more granular they can get about where you go, who you talk with, what you say, the more that they can actually put you into a box and say, this person is this, this person is this, and uh, that can lead, you don't, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to know, understand where that could go to. Joseph Stalin would have loved this type of a snitch system. Anyway, social media surveillance. This is how EFF puts it. Federal, local, and state governments all conduct social media surveillance in a number of different ways from sending police to infiltrate political or protest organizing Facebook groups. They have all kinds of fake sock puppet accounts where they go in. And so you shouldn't trust random people that you don't know. They might be a fed. They might be a cop. And they're trying to get people on record doing stuff. I don't trust any of these people. Anyways, to the mass collection and monitoring of hashtags or geolocated posts done by AI aggregators. We know that the social media companies are happily in bed with the federal government. Some of them under heavy pressure, others less. Some of them are fully in line with what the empire does. Others are not. 
But the bottom line is, it, even if the social media companies were all just wonderful, liberty-loving constitutionalists, and they wanted to resist the feds at every turn, you're still getting internet sweeps. Under Section 702, they're collecting everything. FISA, the NSA is collecting everything that goes through the internet backbone. So even when they're not helping out, they're not volunteering, or they're not crumbling to the pressure, which I do understand in some cases, because if you want to keep in business and the feds or the government comes in and says, this is the, what you're going to pay as a tribute, people pay taxes, people do all kinds of stuff in order to have a day-to-day -day life and existence. So it is a very, very dangerous combination when they're all on board with this nasty stuff. But going further, there was just yesterday this uh, a lawsuit was filed by EFF against the USPS. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but the Postal Service has a met. Well, they've always had this. We know all the way back to the Alien and Sedition Acts, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, who wrote tons of letters to each other, suddenly cut back on that significantly in 1798 when uh, after passage of the Alien and Sedition Acts, they were concerned and they were pretty smart and they recognized that the Postal Service or the mail was being monitored. And so they were very concerned about that and cut back on some of the communication. USPS today has a very technologically advanced surveillance system where they're monitoring people's mail. I mean, I'm almost chuckling at this, but the EFF uh, filed a suit on that just yesterday and they wanted to get records, just a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. Here's how they put it. Under an initiative called the Internet Covert Operations Program, analysts at the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, they're going beyond just searching your mail, and they're doing this. The Postal Service's law enforcement arm sorted through massive amounts of data created by social media users to surveil what, they're, what they were saying and sharing, according to media reports. Internet users' posts on Facebook, Twitter, Parler, and Telegraph were likely swept up in the surveillance program. Why would the USPS need to sweep up social media posts? Well, of course, they're going to claim, well, we can, uh, you know, come up with profiles to determine who might be sending a dangerous package or something like that. And so this is a logical part. So if you're always assuming that government is out to protect you rather than to screw you over, to rip you off, to steal your liberty... You're going to be more okay with this kind of stuff. You can see these justifications, but it's never just used to get the bad guys. It is used to monitor and track anybody. And I think that should be incredibly alarming to see because a lot of people see the Postal Service as pretty innocuous. They see it as an independent business, but this is part of the government. And it is actually doing the bidding of the surveillance state. It's a big part of expanding that. The next one, number four, is automated license plate readers, which I mentioned at the outset, ALPRs. They are high-speed, according to EFF, high-speed computer-controlled camera systems that are typically mounted on street poles, street lights, highway overpasses, mobile trailers, or attached to police squad cars. I believe that the fast ones get up to 800 images per minute. It's incredibly, incredibly fast. And that's how they can use them to to monitor, let's say, the 110 freeway with seven lanes going south at the same time. I mean, it's not moving that fast here, but they are definitely getting these pictures of all these license plates. ALPRs, they put automatically capture all license plate numbers that come into view, along with the location, date and time of the scan. So they're 
creating data points. Who passed this at what time? What car? What vehicle? Oh, well, uh, I was just a passenger. Well, if you're using Uber, for example, or any uh, rideshare service, they know you're in there based on your cell phone use. If you got picked up by a friend, they know where the friend went. But on top of it, if you think there's some way that you can get around this, no, they're definitely finding ways to track who's in the cars, even if you don't have the technology on you. ALPRs can also be used to target drivers who visit sensitive places such as health centers, immigration clinics, gun shops, union halls, protests, or centers of, of uh, worship. And they also include photographs of the vehicle and sometimes the driver and passengers. It's insane how fast and relatively accurate. Now, a lot of people complain about these because of the inaccuracy of them. Well, I'm not looking for a really accurate totalitarian state. I don't want an inaccurate one. The inaccurate ones certainly are going to get people, innocent people, and put them into a lot of difficult situations. But I don't want them to get better at that. So my complaint isn't that it's accurate. My complaint is that it exists. Next up are drones and planes, basically flying surveillance. This is number five. They say police departments and other local public safety agencies have been acquiring and deploying drones at a rapid rate. A lot of times they can't afford these. In most situations, the money that they steal on a state and local level from you doesn't cover this. So they have to go to the federal government and beg for handouts that's been stolen from you or printed, which is really stealing your wealth and purchasing power as well. But that's a side note. Anyways, this is in addition to federal drones used both overseas and at home for surveillance and offensive purposes. I find them all offensive. But I'm not sure that's what they meant at EFF. But they say it's not only drones that are in the skies above you spying on protests and people as they go about their daily lives. And of course, you can outfit these with a cell site simulator. You can outfit it with a license plate reader. You can outfit it with different types of cameras and facial recognition. So they can put all you can put acoustic gunshot detection on these drones as well, which I'm going to get to as well. Spy planes like those provided by the company Persistent Surveillance Systems. These are just kind of sometimes like uh, they feel like an old school kind of like. Uh, crop duster type plane. They're not that. They're much more advanced than that. Uh, but they're called, the company is called Persistent Surveillance Systems. They've been used in places like Baltimore, St. Louis, and elsewhere. They can be seen buzzing above cities in the U.S. Some cities, they say, like, however, like Baltimore and St. Louis, have recently pulled the plug on these invasive programs. And then they even mention satellites. Now, satellites... This is old school technology. We think about satellite surveillance being the 1950s or maybe like a U-2 spy plane over Russia. But there are over 5,000 in orbit over the Earth. Some of them have advanced photographic capabilities. They say it's unlikely, though, we could ever reach a point where pictures taken from a satellite would be clear enough or even be the correct angle to run through facial recognition or through an automated license plate reader, but they can identify a building or a car. So there's this is actually part of this whole surveillance infrastructure. They're addressing it at every different level possible. And maybe in time, the satellites won't be as necessary because they're putting drones every place possible. And we're seeing more and more of that over time. And this one I think is just fascinating. I haven't included this as much in previous episodes covering surveillance tools, acoustic gunshot detection. And this, of course, was just published by EFF in the last week, uh, maybe just a few days ago, this, this page here. And I like that they're really, really pushing on this. And here's how they cover it. Cities across the country are increasingly installing sophisticated listing devices on streetlights and the sides of buildings intended to detect the sound of gunshots. And as I was talking about the partisan nature 
of people supporting and opposing surveillance or privacy and surveillance issues, it has generally in like old school pro-privacy people have oftentimes been on the left end of the spectrum. And those people generally hate the right to keep and bear arms. It's just pretty common. Now, of course, there's always outliers in all of this stuff. And I'm not saying everyone. I'm trying not to be a collectivist here as much as possible. But I know I am to some degree. But generally, people that have been uh, opposed to government surveillance, police state programs have come from the left, at least on the more old school. We're seeing a transition. But then to start pointing out to them like, OK, uh, you could maybe do this just to do gun control, to protect against violent crime. That's a really smart way for the empire to try to weasel their way in. But I'm really glad to see not just EFF, but I think also at Vice we've seen some uh, publication on this talking about how these acoustic gunshot things really aren't a they're not helping reduce violent crime gun control. They're not saying they're not getting to the logical conclusion that the gun control is really the problem in the first place. Uh, they're, but they're not good at it, and then they can do other stuff. Acoustic gunshot detection EFF writes, like the technology sold by popular company ShotSpotter, detects loud noises, triangulates where the noises came from, and sends the audio to a team of experts who are expected to determine if the sound was a gunshot, a firework, or some other noise. So they're collecting the audio from an area. They're collecting the audio. We know that they put these types of things in some smart street lights as well. So if you live in a city like San Diego or here in Los Angeles, you see these smart, uh, smart internet connected street lights network systems. Sometimes they have either a camera in it or they've got audio detection. Now, is it a shot spotter device? I'm not sure. But the end result is they can do stuff like, even though aimed at picking up gunshots, EFF writes, this technology also captures human voices at least some of the time. So if they can only prove that it happens some of the time, we can pretty be pretty certain that it's probably happening all the time. Automated license plate readers are a great example. It was uh, maybe three, four years ago that Reuters released a kind of uh, some leaked documents that showed that the DEA, which shouldn't exist, just like uh, the ATF and so many of these other so-called federal agencies, had been running a nationwide license plate tracking program for eight years that no one even knew existed. Almost no one had even heard of this. Even some deep state type people were like, oh, I had no idea this was happening. Maybe they were lying. But there was the general public certainly wasn't aware and neither were most privacy surveillance experts. No one was really aware this was happening. And what it was what was going on was they were running it through state and local law enforcement who were installing these cameras or these license plate readers that were generally paid for through federal grant programs or sometimes asset forfeiture and these other ways of getting the cash. And then they were sharing the information with the feds and they were keeping track of where everyone was going for years and years and years. So if we're thinking like we know that they're picking up voices with this gunshot gun control detection stuff, and then we know sometimes they're picking up that we should be pretty certain that they're doing it all the time. And maybe this is a way where you can get gun control advocates to oppose a gun control tool because we're starting to see that a little bit. They say in at least two criminal cases, People versus Johnson and Commonwealth versus Denison, prosecutors sought to introduce as evidence audio of voices recorded on an acoustic gunshot detected system. 
in one, the court allowed it. Another one, they didn't. But either way, that show that's a disturbing trend. Here, advice: police are telling ShotSpotter, this is the main company selling this, the most known, to alter evidence from gunshot detecting AI. You got to read this article. I'm not going to really go through it, but basically, they detected something. They they looked at it and then they alternated the altered the coordinates for a prosecution and then submitted that as the evidence. Read the whole article. I will link to it in the show notes. This shot spotter stuff is really, really dangerous. And then the last one, number seven, is security cameras. Now, this could be home security, and that's the one that I focused on the most, but it could also be networked, basically business or business improvement district or a shopping mall security. This stuff can be all accessed and shared. Here, uh, they say, this is again from EFF.org. Popular consumer surveillance cameras like Amazon's Ring doorbell camera are slowly becoming omnipresent surveillance networks in the country. Unlike traditional surveillance cameras, which may back up to a local drive in the possession of the user, and then they'd have to come in and either take that drive or get a warrant for the drive, it's just there. It's just shared in the cloud, and the cloud is very easy for them to access. And when it's centralized, a centralized cloud like Amazon AWS or Microsoft, OneDrive, or any of these things, they just have to go to the one very large company, which is very interested in working with the government and getting government contracts over time. And they're very pliable. It's very easy to get that information when it's centralized rather than distributed or decentralized. Unlike traditional, okay, the fact that users of the internet connected security cameras do not store their own footage makes that footage more easily accessible to police. I covered this in an entire episode a couple of years ago. Surveillance partners, Amazon Ring, and police departments. They had partnered, Amazon at least at that point, had already partnered with between four and 500 police departments. They're really pushing for data sharing. So if you've got one of these security systems for your home, I understand the notion of wanting to have security. But of course, when you outlaw the right to keep and bear arms, People are going to look to something else because police aren't coming to protect you in advance. They're showing up later if you could solve that. So if you can't protect yourself, I see how people are leaning on these types of things more and more because we don't have a culture of self-defense. We have a culture of find a faster way to get cops over here to do stuff for us. And we don't want to rely on government for a lot of this stuff because it's so problematic. Anyways, it's not just these home security cameras. It's certainly surveillance cameras in businesses, in business districts, because the same issue happens. They're either going to make it shareable or it's going to be networked over the Internet. And once that happens, then like a parking lot cameras generally will have automated license plate readers. They're not built into the old school camera. They just have to be able to push that over the internet and then some central server can analyze the ALPR data or the facial recognition. And that's how they put it here. They say network surveillance cameras can harm communities by allowing police or quasi-governmental agencies like business improvement districts. I'm not sure if you have those by you. We've got them all over the place here in my neighborhood by recording how people live their lives who they communicate with, what protests they attend, and what doctors or lawyers they visit. A lot of times the, the facial recognition becomes really nasty because what they're doing is they're 
They're figuring out where everyone's going. And if that data is shared over the Internet and the government wants that stuff, they're definitely going to get it. Well, I hope you guys found this interesting. I hope it was educational. I'll make sure to link to the stuff that I'm citing here in the show notes over at 10thamendmentcenter.com slash path to liberty so you can read about it and learn more on your own time. Uh, just want to take a look over in the live chat here in just a moment. I should mention first again, our membership program starts out as little as two bucks a month. Please don't feel obligated to join us, but if you can afford it, please consider it. It's 10thamendmentcenter.com slash members. I'm not sure if that's great promo, but uh, we work very, very hard every single day brick by brick, person by person to advance the Constitution and liberty and your financial support can help us expand and reach more people. Anyways, take a look uh, over at, do I ever read live comments? Jane Smith, yes. Missouri Liberty Alliances, thanks, Michael. Good topic. Uh, cops are just uninformed. Yeah, uniformed historian, says Dan Reed. Central bank digital currency is another tool to invade privacy. Yeah, there. yes, and I don't know if they're necessarily... In a weird way, the fiat dollar is already a CBDC, but certainly if they move that to total when they're saying outlawing cash, it's because they want to be able to track and trace what everybody does. And people who say that, like Bitcoin, for example, is anonymous. No, 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 this is nonsense. Bitcoin is not anonymous. They have all kinds of tools. Any criminal who's using this is probably some kind of a plant made to look make things look bad. There are privacy digital tools, but that isn't it. And certainly if the Federal Reserve or the Chinese Central Bank or something creates a, their own electronic digital currency and tries to do away with this, it's because they want to be able to access your funds at all time. And if you think about it, if they can do that, and if it's totally digital, they're going to make sure they build in back doors to say, well, this person, this is an unperson. They can't conduct, uh, they can't conduct any uh, transactions. So I appreciate you pointing that out. Cindy over on Periscope Twitter. I appreciate you being here as well. Um, looking a little further, uh, Clay Kent, give the talking monies that comprise the government an inch Give the talking monkeys that comprise the government an inch. It is solid that they will take a mile. And I think uh, Clay was probably talking about how I was mentioning that they were using voice detection on ShotSpotter. I'm certain that it is. This is just my own personal belief. I absolutely can't prove it. I just know that as you look at any of these issues, anytime I've looked at any issue over time, it's always much worse than what we know about because they're trying to hide the stuff. If they were running that automated license plate reader program, license plate tracking program for eight years, they weren't planning on telling anybody. We were just lucky to have a leaker, a hero who was sharing this sensitive government information. We were glad to have a hero to tell us about this. Unfortunately, not enough people are outraged about this kind of stuff yet to make the changes that need to happen, but we are seeing some restrictions, uh, limitations on this. Facial recognition is where I think we're seeing the best efforts on surveillance on a very local level. We're seeing more and more cities starting to say, we're not going to allow government use of facial recognition at all. If they've got the tools, they got to stop. If they're using it, they can't. The evidence isn't allowed in court. So that does make it, even though we know we, they will probably try to find a way around it, it makes it more difficult. And the more difficult that we can make it for them, the better. Let's take a look at a, uh, a little further. Don't want the cell phone tracking you. Build a Faraday box. Yes, someone's going to have to search the Internet for that Liberty Rev Revolutionary. But yes, you can. Well, a Faraday box can be very helpful. Uh, not a lot of them are going to be perfect. But certainly if the if you don't want the phone to track you, even if you turn this thing off, like I don't touch this biometric thing ever. 
even if it turns off, it's still sending a signal. So as soon as I use it, it's definitely sending that data. But if I don't want them to know where I am, I can put it in a box. I don't have one, but you could put it in a box where they can't actually collect that signal. Some people will say just tinfoil. That's where the whole tinfoil hat thing comes from. That is not effective, but there are ways to build a Faraday box. I'm not sure what the use case is on that. Uh, generally, it's a leave it at home. But if you get in a vehicle, if you get in a bike share, you do a lot of the things that we do here in cities they're going to track where you are at all times anyways. Anyways, I will take a look over more in the uh, the TV. Uh, oh, I'm reading a comment as I'm saying. Cindy asked about smart TVs. That's a thing as well. I don't have a lot of information on that. EFF did not include that in their top 12, but if it's an internet connected device, whether it's a TV or a refrigerator or whatever, it's sending that data. Smart meters, for example, testing you for your energy usage. If you have too much of a usage, we know there's been times that they've showed up with a, a drug team SWAT uh, and showed up saying, oh, you must be uh, running an illegal grow here because your internet use, your your um, energy usage spikes so high. This is certainly probable cause for a drug raid. And then it isn't. Uh, or sometimes it is. I mean, but they're monitoring you in so many different ways. Anything that is connected, networked, internet enabled, they can monitor what's happening and they can pressure the companies who are collecting that information to hand it over. Or maybe they want to do what they've been doing to Apple, which is pressuring them to build in a back door. So even if it's end to end encryption, they want to be able to get in there. But that defeats the whole purpose. Anyways, I hope you guys found this interesting. I hope it was educational. Remember that membership program, 10th Amendment Center.com slash members, the show homepage, 10th Amendment Center.com slash path to liberty. Continue leaving comments in the archive. I will read through them all a little bit later today. I don't get a chance to reply to many, but I get tons of ideas for future episodes on questions, comments, and feedback and the like. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Smash a like, leave a comment or a review on Apple Podcasts and any other podcast platform if you did. And I will see you next time here on the Path to Liberty. Have a great day.